Hello, and thank you for joining us for another session of dedication. Fans remember the Bay City Rollers, the only podcast dedicated to the Bay City Rollers in the world. Hosted by Bay City Rollers Fan Events. Hi, I'm Suze, and co-hosting with me is Laura. Hey, Laura. Hey, Suze. How you doing? Good. How are you? Doing good, thank you. I'm I'm very excited for this interview. Me too. Um, I'll share one of my uh, funniest, favorite funniest BCR memories. It was at the 2007 UK 2K Fan Fest in Edinburgh. Um, Alan Longmuir and Eric Faulkner were the special guests. And at one point, out on the veranda or the balcony of the hotel, it kind of served as the smoking section. And my friend Regina smoked and Eric smoked. And I followed her out there, you know, and she goes over to Eric and says, So, how do you think we turned out? <laughs> and the look on his face was priceless. It just was, I thought it was a really the funniest That's thing. Awesome. And you know, Regina, the way she said it, it was just so funny. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, as it turns out, we in fact turned out pretty well. Several fans wound up working in the music industry, healthcare field, their teachers, they joined the armed services, and on and on and on. Today we're talking to someone who we could say turned out really well in a very impressive way. Our guest today is Dan Matthew. Dan is the Senior Vice President of Campaigns for PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. He was once called a nice zealot by the New York Times. The LA, he was an LA punk who turned animal rights into a celebrity craze. He was the creative force behind many of PETA's colorful crusades. He has recruited a parade of stars to speak out for the cause and was the first person to interview longtime animal rights ally, Sir Paul McCartney. Dan launched PETA's legendary Rather Go Naked Than Wear Fur campaign by walking down the streets of Tokyo wearing nothing more than a banner. What you may not know about Dan is that he was a huge Bay City Rollers fan back in the day. And he's here with us today to talk about his experience and all the fun he had back in the day. Um, it was Bob Gruen's book, Right Place, Right Time, that reminded Dan of his admiration of the BCR and our very good friend, Carol Klempner, who put us in touch with Dan. We're delighted to hear his stories. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, Laura. What do you think? I think we're in for some really good storytelling. All right, let's get him on the line. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Hello, Dan, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Great. Um, we promise we're going to talk about the Bay City Rollers, but we can't not ask you about your work with PETA and the Rather Go Naked Than Wear Fur campaign, and also maybe your interview with Sir Paul. Will you tell us about, <laughs> about all of that? <laughs> sure, sure. Well, um, I've been with PETA since 1985. Um, I started when I was 20 years old, uh, but I was an animal activist in high school. Uh, before that, I... Um, I've always been a music freak. I grew up in the early punk rock scene in L.A., and um, I was always uh, very focused after I started working at PETA in, in the mid-'80s at recruiting musicians to be involved with us because there's just always been such an overlap between, uh, it seems, between musicians and uh, people that loved animals. There just seemed to be a, a heightened awareness, and the Bay City Rollers can be included among that. Uh, they 
in one of their early videos, they all are, are loving on horses. Uh, uh, Stuart Absolutely. Wood rescued a dog trapped in a well. Ian Mitchell adopted dogs and worked with the shelter um, where he lived. The band even played a, a pet adoption expo in Massachusetts in 2009. Um, so uh, wow. there's just always been a real, uh, a real, a real overlap. And so um, I will, uh, being a music uh, junkie, I uh, you know I've always sought to recruit bands that I admired, uh, and that included uh, a lot of 80s bands like uh, the B-52s and the Go-Go's and um, I organized this event called Rock Against Fur at the Palladium in New York in 1988, and it became uh, a, such a big success and a sellout, and it got so much attention that I answered the phone the next week, and it was none other than Paul and Linda McCartney on the other line. Wow. <laughs> wow. Saying that they wanted to get involved, and they were glad a group came along uh, that uh, was devoted to all animal issues, and one that wanted to work with musicians. So they invited me over to England. Uh, I went over to visit them. I was so young at the time. I was about 23 years old. Oh, my God. Uh, and they just, uh, and I'm still very close with Paul uh, to this day. And Courtney, um, you know, Paul's like a, has been vegetarian since the, the 70s, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stella, his daughter, is a fashion designer. I've known her since she was in design school, and now she became the first high fashion designer to shun not only fur, but also leather. She, she doesn't use leather. Uh, and so it's been great, and, and working, of course, with, with Paul McCartney has opened a lot of doors. He even performed a whole set at, our, at PETA's 35th anniversary event um, in L.A. a few years back uh, at, the, at the Hollywood Palladium. Um, and so it's been, it's been great, and you know, it's, it's funny because you, when somebody's as iconic as Paul McCartney, you think you're going to go through layers and layers of people. Uh-huh. They called, gave me the home number, asked when I could come to visit to, to get to know each other so that they could learn how they could get involved. And when I went to England a few months later, they sent a car to pick me up at my you know dumpy motel in London to bring me out to their home to spend the entire day and go for walks and, you know, uh, going on the hill behind their house and, and get to know their horses and their dogs. And uh, it just, uh, and, and they were always were very, very uh, uh, just, engaged friends it became like a, a like a friendship even though our bond was over the animal rights work uh they were always as much about being friends in fact um when i married my husband jack a few years ago in vegas paul mccarthy is one of the only people i told because it was like a last minute vegas ceremony and when jack and i got to uh our hotel room there was both uh, dozens and dozens of roses uh sent from paul and a fedex from england with a handmade card that he uh, and nancy made for us, and it was just oh uh, to tell you the kind of person he is. And I had just mentioned it to him like three weeks before that we were going to be doing it. Uh, he tracked me down uh, through the office and surprised me like that, which was just, you know, that tells you a lot about somebody. I think. Yeah, and how and how Absolutely. he feels about and how he feels about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a sweetheart. My husband's father worked the railroad in Britain, and he happened to be on the line that McCartney took, and McCartney rode coach. <laughs> Whatever, whatever the equivalent of coach is over there. He wasn't in first class. He was just sitting there, and um, my father-in-law would see him often on that line. So, yeah, he's a good guy. That's, 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 uh, he's wonderful, and he's so instrumental in so much of Peter's victories. He helped us close Ringling Brothers down, uh, the circus, which closed a few years ago after over 100 years, after we exposed him the way they beat the elephants and the other animals to mm-hmm. force them to perform. He helped us pressure Gillette to stop their animal testing. Uh, he has been obviously a big advocate for uh, vegan eating and 
he initiated this uh, campaign, Meat Free Mondays, about a decade ago, urging people just to skip meat on Mondays and learn and expand their taste buds and, and, and get into, uh, you know, expand their horizons like that, which I think has been a great icebreaker for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, and he's just, uh, he's just, uh, he's just it's such a gem, such a gem in every way imaginable. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. That's, that's really special. Thank you. Sure. So, Dan, how and when did you discover those cuties, the Bay City Rollers? Well, I was a huge Bay City Rollers fan when I was 10, uh, 10 or 11, when, when the Saturday Night single came out in the U.S. I know that it was not a hit in England, but when it came out in America, it was all the rage. And I used to be a speed skater, and I spent a lot of time at the roller rink. So um, I know there was they would call it uh, roller mania for the Bay City Rollers, but for me it had a double meaning because they would play it at the roller rink all the time. So I had such great memories of that. Uh, and so I, I, I loved them as soon as they as soon as they were released in the states, and then a few years after that, when I got into the punk scene, uh, I was at, at going to see some show in L.A. And a friend of ours who was supposed to meet us at this gig at the Whiskey A Go Go said, "Hey, I'm at the Sunset uh, Marquee, and the Bay City Rollers are having a party, and there's a party in their room. You should, you, you, you know, uh, it, it, they didn't invite me. They invited a friend of a friend, and I just was a tag along. I was not even." I was probably 16 years old at the time, 17 wow. years old. And, um, of course, the idea of going to a party where we could drink rather than have to be underage at a bar was even more exciting to us. So we got there, and even though I was a Bay City Rollers fan, I was so young that I just assumed, because, you know, I grew up in California, and they would people would always say the Bay Area about San Francisco. That's right. And so I just assumed they were from... San Francisco, and that's why they were called the Bay City Rollers. Surprise! I had no idea they were from Scotland. And so we get to the, the party in the in the hotel, and it was only like 15 people. It was really fun, and, you know, they, they certainly were uh, generous with the booze and very sweet, and it was right at the time they were trying to adapt their image to be more new wave and, and kind of, you know, transcend the 70s scene and into the, the new wave uh, scene, and um, they, were, they were just so sweet, and they had Scottish accents, and I said, uh, it's interesting, you, you sound, you know, Scottish, but you're from San Francisco, I mean, the Bay City Rollers, where, where in San Francisco did you guys form? And they just all laughed and said, um, we're not actually from the Bay City, we're from Scotland, we're from Edinburgh, uh, and the only reason we're called the Bay City Rollers is because uh, we just threw a dart on a map, and it landed on base." Uh, Bay City, Michigan, and so we decided to call ourselves the Bay City Rollers because of that. So it has nothing to do with California. It really has nothing to do with Michigan. And I remember thinking, God, I, I, what an ignorant punk I look like. But they actually had a really good laugh. Oh, and, I'm sure. Uh, they, were really, they were really sweet, and we never made it to the gig at the Whiskey, whatever whatever the show was that night, because they were so sweet, and there was a cool crowd uh, hanging out. And of course, when you're 16 or 17 years old, and you're, you know, stumble into a Bay City Rollers uh, 70s hotel room party, you stay. You're staying. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you remember, like, what the lineup was? With that? Was Duncan the lead singer then by that time? I, you know, I don't remember. And uh, I, I don't remember because I didn't see them play. I don't know if they were, I don't know if they were just on a promo tour or if they actually had a gig in town that week. Yeah. And because I didn't see them play, I never, it never gelled to me. Who was the bassist? Who was the vocalist? Who was the guitarist? We just all hung out in the kitchen and in this hotel suite and, and chit-chatted and talked about new music and their music. And it was like really just like a, 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 
a hang with you know a dozen or fifteen friends at a at a hotel room, but because I didn't see them play, I, I I never saw them play. I never I didn't have an idea of who was who. Who's old first? Yeah. Now, when when you say you were a fan when you were ten or eleven, did you have like a group of? I mean, what was it like being a male fan? Did you have a posse, or were you kind of on your own, just at the skating rink, digging their music? Uh, all of my friends loved them. All of my friends loved that song. I was really into. Uh, Electric Light Orchestra was my favorite band um, at the time. I was really into 45s. I used to, of course, like a lot of us did in the 70s, record my favorite songs off the radio oh, with yeah. my cassette player next to the oh, radio. Yeah. But if the song came along that I really loved, I had to have the single. And, you know, when you're at that age, uh, you know, 13 years old or whatever, you, you, know, you don't have the disposable income to buy everything. But I certainly had my... Saturday night, 45, and everybody I knew loved it, and everybody at the roller rink just clogged the roller rink when it came on. Um, so, yeah, every, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, it's funny, because as soon as I became in the punk scene, all of my, all of the stuff before that, you know, even though I still always liked the Bay City Rollers and Electrolyte Orchestra, who I also saw uh, in on their uh, New World Record Tour in 1977, um, I it just all faded, and I became so into the new music scene of, of the late 70s, early 80s, that uh, I just, you know, you change moods really quickly when you're a, a juvenile, but I Definitely. never lost my love for them, I never I never stopped thinking they were cool, and I, I just, uh, I still love when I hear it come on the radio. Well, we didn't know any boys who liked them growing up, so you're, you're like yeah. a, a bit of a unicorn, we're always fascinated, because all of a sudden, like, you know, with the internet and everything, they're everywhere, and it's like, whoa, wow, um, I guess they they thought it might have been weird back then. I don't know. It, it, we just... I don't know. Maybe it was a gay boy thing. You know, that we all, a, a lot of us, uh, you know, not that I, was not, I wasn't out at the time, but I loved the glam rock look. I loved, I loved, and you know, the Bay City Rollers didn't fit squarely into that, but they no. were certainly like, They were know, adorable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were, they were, they were great. And, you know, I, I was definitely not a 60s child. I definitely loved the 70s scene. And, and I loved, uh, the bands that came along then, T-Rex, and uh, a, lot, a lot of the bands that really looked like a modern version of, of what I considered a cool rock artist rather than the hippie version. It, that was just before my time. And so I remember the Bay City Rollers, you know, when I was 10 or 11, I remember identifying, yes, this is, this is from my generation, not like this. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, did you get involved with the New York punk scene as well or just the LA scene? LA scene? Um, I grew up in LA, and um, I I was really lucky to see a lot of really great bands. Then I, I um, uh, and even beyond punk, uh, I would just as a music, uh, you know, especially a live music freak, I would go to any show. I still have my uh, ticket for the Roxy that cost eight dollars and fifty cents to see the very first U.S. show of Duran Duran when they were wow. doing wow. for their first album. That's amazing. And I didn't even want to go because it wasn't really punk, but my friends were like, "Oh, come on, it's going to be fun." Um, and so I ended up getting to meet them too. They were really, uh, really terrific. And you know, so there was uh, Bow Wow Wow. There were Adam and the Ants. There was there was so many great great bands. Uh, and then I moved to Washington D.C. for college in '83. And I, I went to New York a few times. And I, I I was you know kind of a a latter scene person there. Like I wasn't there when it was. But I, I certainly. I saw the B-52s at CBGB's, but it yeah. was late in the day when they were doing their Cosmic Thing videos. And um, But I loved the Ramones, and I, uh, Joey Ramone was even really sweet and wanted to get involved with PETA in the late 80s, and we had um, a really cool hang at a diner in East Village, and um, 
I, I love Blondie. I, I, I uh, just watched a really uh, great documentary about the New York scene, which was which was pretty cool, and the New York Dolls and all that stuff. I was a little bit late for that, though. I, I was right on time in L.A. I saw all these really, really great L.A. bands like X and the Germs and the Bags and um, bands that became New Wave later, like the Go-Go's and the Wall, and Wall of Voodoo. Uh, but I was a little bit late on the New York scene when I moved east. Was that happened simultaneously, or was New York a little bit earlier? New York was earlier. New York really started in 75 when the Ramones started. Yeah. And in fact, it was the Ramones in New York that kick-started the punk scene in England. They went to, they went to play in England uh, in 75 and 76, uh, and they were a, like a progenitor band for for the UK scene. Wow. Uh, the LA scene didn't really start till like 77, 78. Okay. Uh, but New York was really first. And, you know, Malcolm McLaren, who who uh, created the Sex Pistols, you know, he put them all together. Right. Uh-huh. He, uh, before that, he was the manager of the New York Dolls. He would fly to New York to get weird uh, vintage clothes to sell in his shop. And it was the New York Dolls that really put the light bulb in his head that there could be this, like, pop punk like the next, you know, the next thing after glam rock was, you know, punk rock, and yeah. and it was the New York scene that really, really got that going. And uh, the New York scene was a lot artier than the LA scene. There was, of course, the Talking Heads and television, and uh, and the New York Dolls and, and all that. Um, the B52s moved to New York from Georgia in '77, and, and uh, it was much more artistic. In LA, it was much more. Uh, it was a little bit more hardcore and a little bit more pop. But LA was uh, New York was very arty, and I, I I appreciate the differences. I also love the the London scene, which was you know much wildly more wildly diverse with you know hardcore bands like the Sex Pistols, but also more middle of the road bands like the Clash and the Pretenders. And Chrissy Hind, uh, of course, became one of Peter's main spokespeople uh, in the late '80s, and I was really lucky to get connected with her through uh, Warner Brothers Records. There was a, a a receptionist at Warner Brothers Records who was a big PETA supporter, and I was a receptionist at PETA when I first started, and she would call and, and, and we would kibitz over the phone and talk about things, and she said, well, you've got to get these bands involved. Come to New York, and I will tell you when they're coming into the office for meetings, and I will serendipitously introduce you, and that's how I met Chris Pine, that's how I met the B-52s, through the oh. reception squad. Hey, <laughs> that's where... I was old at the time. That's where all the business happens. <laughs> that's right. So did you were you able did you get a chance to go over to London during that time and, and see the scene firsthand? Um, I didn't make it to London until '83, and by that I remember when I went to London uh, the first time. The rec- the big displays and all the record store windows were for the Culture Club, so, and uh, yeah. the whole new romantic scene yeah. had really taken off by then. Um, but I did have uh, I did I did get to meet my idol Johnny Rotten. There was a, a German punk singer named Nina Hagen who was really involved with PETA in the 80s. She did a, a beautiful song for us called Don't Kill the Animals. And um, when we were putting the record together uh, in, I think, 86 in London, she had me over for dinner, and there was a surprise guest, and it was Johnny Rotten. And, of course, I was 21, I think, at the time, 22, and I just couldn't even believe that I was having dinner with Johnny Rotten, which was really exciting. Uh, that's pretty um, hardcore. And he was sarcastic and everything. And everything I, you'd I want him to be. <laughs> yes. Um, I still haven't so gotten... My story just says that follow your heart and you'll you'll uh, f- you'll find the right situation. And I think, you know, Bob, Bob Gruen just wrote this terrific book about his experience in the rock scene as a photographer in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And I just finished it and uh, emailed him 
uh, last week, which is how I got connected with you guys. And um, I think this book is, uh, in addition to having such great Bay City Rollers anecdotes, it also shows that in the music scene, you don't really need to have connections. You just need to show up and work it, meet people. He would show up and take pictures of, you know, people backstage, people, mm -hmm. managers of the clubs. And, of course, it was easier when it was clubs rather than arenas. But um, my story, and I, I wrote a, a memoir called uh, Committed, uh, which has a lot of these music, music stories that I've, I've been, been sharing with you uh, as well uh, about Paul McCartney, about Chrissy Hind, and, and a lot of these uh, early bands. But it's the same vibe as Bob Gruen's uh, story, which is that you just show up and meet people. Yeah. That's just the way I met the Rollers was just friend of a friend. And, you know, if, if I wasn't going to a show that night, I wouldn't have made it. So just if in doubt, go out is always yeah. been my motto. Right place, right That's time. Great. Yeah, Bob was kind enough to do a, a podcast with us. We love him. And he actually, um, he's, he's a great guy. I love his book. And I'm actually rereading Lisa Robinson's book. And I'm on the chapter of the New York Dolls. <laughs> so this is all, oh, all kind of you know, connected for me. I just ordered Lisa's book. I hadn't read it yet, but I'm glad to see that it's out there. What I hear she's got a show coming up on Sirius. Oh, does she? There was a couple of things on YouTube I was watching, but I'm definitely digressing. Um, and I did want to say I've never gotten over the shock of Chrissy Hine not being British. <laughs> I know. Isn't it weird? It's well, so she weird. She away from Ohio in, in, the, in 74, I think it was, out she was at Kent State when the, when the shootings happened. Was she, she didn't know anybody that was killed, but she was there. And, you know, she was very much in the rock scene of the late 60s, early 70s, uh, having grown up in Akron. She and her friends would go see shows like The Doors and Janis Joplin. They would drive to Detroit. They would drive to, you know, Cleveland, wherever there was a band playing. Iggy Pop was her favorite. Um, and then she was just kind of going to school because her parents expected her to, and she really wasn't into it and was... Uh, disgusted by the Vietnam War, and uh, when the Kent State shooting happened, she just up and moved uh, to you know London, and she was in Paris for a bit, and then she just became a music critic at um, uh, in one of the music weeklies in in London, and just got into the whole punk scene at the very inception of it, and got her own band together, and then all of a sudden it's the Pretenders, and they had the first number one hit of 1980 with um, Brass and Pocket. I remember seeing her first interviewing and saying, what? That doesn't make any sense to me. What was the documentary that you were watching about the New York Dolls? Um, God, what was it called? Um, God, these days we're all binging so many shows. Um, <laughs> True. It was... Uh, Not the Danny Fields one, Danny says. I think it might have been. Yeah, and I, I love Danny Fields. We Danny do Fields too. Also... He's a friend a of great, ours as well. Yeah, it was that one because he's uh, he's he's been he's been a great. It's actually Danny Fields who I have to thank for even meeting the McCartneys. He had me on his radio show in New York, in uh, when we did the big Rock Against Fur concert in 1988, and he said to me on the radio show, "Do you know the McCartneys?" And I said, "How would I know the McCartneys?" He was I'm good like friends with Linda, wasn't he? Punk. He was really good friends with Linda. Yeah. He said, "Oh, they're gonna uh, you know, uh, you know, it's a smaller world than you think." And he gave them my number, and they called me. So that's the first story that I told about McCartney's. It was really Danny Fields who oh, made that wow. happen because of being on his radio show. Yeah. And then I remained friends with him for years, stayed with him on Fire Island, and, and um, uh, he was a great guy. I know he was the publicist for The Doors and yeah. for um, The Ramones and all these other bands. Steve Forbert, who is my favorite. <laughs> yes, yeah, he, yes. Yeah, Danny's... Um... 
and he's and he was you know the 16 magazine editor when we were little kids so he was responsible for feeding us all the beautiful pictures that we wanted to hang on our bedroom walls <laughs> it was all his fault <laughs> it's all danny's fault <laughs> uh, it is what it, he's uh i haven't seen him in a few years but i've been wanting to reconnect with him since i watched that since i stumbled into that documentary yeah it was a great documentary um, so um, what do you think about the fact that so many of us are still connected today, you know, with modern technology, you know, keeping the music alive and, and the community linked up? I think it's really um, important because, you know, we all were, I think, lucky to be from an era where you could go to a record store and look at the wall and be fascinated by a cover of a single or of an album and get into it from that way, and having a guy that works there or a girl that works there say, uh, have you heard the flip side, or have you heard this other band that's kind of the same? And, you know, I'm, for all the wonders of Spotify, where it tells you what you might like based on what you played, I love the community of going to a record store. It was essential when the punk scene came along. It was essential really for anything. It was just a great meeting place. And I, I really do uh, miss that, that in-person community that the music scene, uh, you know, had with, with with vinyl records and all that stuff but of course time moves on and i think now that there's uh you know the, the technology has gotten to the point where i can connect with people like you both and we can talk about these things and and i think it's it's just great i think the legacies of all these artists and of the scenes they drew and of the freedom everybody felt when these bands came along and sang about the things they did and wore the things they did i think it's great and it's a continual process i think um as, as much as I love bands from the time when I was, you know, a kid in the 70s or growing up in the 80s, I love a lot of bands that are brand new right now. I just got my glow-in-the-dark vinyl from another band from Edinburgh, actually. I didn't, didn't put that together until right now, called uh, Django Django. Oh, well, we DJ. know Django Django, yeah. And they're, they're from Scotland, yep. and they are kind of like an electronica folk mm -hmm. uh, band, which my, my husband Jack and I actually flew to Edinburgh to see their, their club tour uh, uh, three years ago this month because uh, they were not playing in the U.S. yet. They um, eventually came over and played Coachella two years ago. But And they have a brand new record that has come out in advance on glow-in-the-dark vinyl. So you can bet that I ordered my copy. Oh, and I yeah. just got it in the mail last week. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. So long live Edinburgh, long live Scotland, long live vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Dan, thank you so much for sitting with us. I mean, we could probably talk to you for hours and hear your stories. Is your memoir available if people want to check it out? It is. It's um, it's called Committed. It um, was released by Simon & Schuster's uh, Atria imprint. Uh, there's several. It's ended up uh, coming out in, in several languages by now. And that's um, you can go, if you just look up Dan Matthews with one T and Committed, there's a, like a sample chapter on the Simon & Schuster site and a bunch of reviews on uh, Amazon or Goodreads. Uh, so yeah, check it out. And um, there's a lot of, of uh, cool '70s and '80s music scenes that pop up in that book. So yeah, well, our that listeners are like a really good read. Yeah, I mean, our our listeners are definitely we definitely you know migrated to the punk scene and to you know everything British, and so um, a lot of that stuff is crossed over. So we were fans of those bands as well. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, yeah well, check it out. The Go Go's were the first band that I met when I was like. 14. I'm still friends with Belinda, which is fun. Oh, so, amazing. yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, we're all a part of the line of, of, of the rock era, which uh, is, you know, thankfully continuing today with bands like the Foo Fighters and Black Keys, keeping it going. It's not all, you know, I, I certainly like dance music, but I'm a real rock person. 
That's my hall pass, Dave Grohl. <laughs> if you can hook me up, Dan. He's <laughs> a sweetheart, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I can't even deal. I went and saw him um, last, I don't know if it was last, probably two summers ago, by myself, and I had a floor seat. The oldest lady there. <laughs> I did not care. And, you know, I had like 16 friends by the time I left. I was just in heaven. <laughs> so much fun. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. He's, he's a great well, you guy. Well, it's another example of how the scenes overlap. The Germs was the first L.A. punk band, and I knew uh, the, the bassist, Pat Smear, from The Germs when I was a teenager. And, you know, we would hang out occasionally, even, you know, before I moved and to D.C. and started working at PETA, and I would run into him randomly over the years. And uh, there was a Stella McCartney party in L.A., and Dave, uh, uh, Pat Smear was there with all of the Foo Fighters, and we hadn't seen each other in a few years. And we just started talking and telling jokes and, and laughing and Dave Grohl just came up and said who's this guy and Pat said oh this is Dan Matthews from PETA but I've known him since before he was at PETA he was he was in the early LA punk scene he was in fact at the last Germ show before Darby OD and uh, Dave Grohl just said you were at the last Germ show okay you're not leaving my side tonight I have a thousand questions and he brought me along to this after party at the um uh, uh, Chateau Marmont and drove me back to my car at 2 in the morning after the party and was the sweetest guy and it, again it's just one scene transcending the next you know he was in the the grunge scene in Seattle but he was inspired by the punk scene in LA and, and uh, so it's just you know you through the through, through the decades these things just you form these bonds and they, they carry on yeah. Well, in, in my fan fiction, those are the words he said to me, too. You will not leave my side. <laughs> so, yeah. There, we, <laughs> oh, gosh. Can you tell I just had a coffee? <laughs> yeah, he, he is a good guy. And there's actually a Bay City Roller connection. There's a picture of him and Les McEwen, the lead singer, about a couple of years ago. So worlds were colliding that day, for sure. That's great. I'll have to send it. that to you. <laughs> Please, please yeah. do. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you talking to us. My pleasure. It was a fun half hour. It was wonderful yeah. to meet you. And, and thanks to Carol and Bob because, you know, they take such good care of us. <laughs> awesome. And hopefully we'll all be together at a live show before too long. Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. Oh, live music. Live music in a real venue. Wouldn't that be great? Come on, Pfizer. Come on, AstraZeneca. Come on, J&J need live music speaking of live music our very first live music stream benefiting the tartan day parade thanks to all of you was very successful it was so successful and so much fun that we are working on a second event we hope to make an announcement about that very soon speaking of the tartan day parade which we will be doing a lot as we are in full swing anticipating 2022. We have invited Dan to come find us as he is often in New York City. Who knows? Maybe we will all see him there. We hope you will check out his memoir, Commit It, which is available on Amazon in Kindle format, paperback, and hardcover. Remember when searching, Dan spells his last name Matthew with one T. Special thanks again to Bob Gruen and Carol Klempner for putting Dan in our path. He was very interesting. Very interesting. Lots of great stories. See, Eric? We turned out pretty great after all, didn't we? <laughs> Thank you all, as always, for listening, supporting, and being just the 
best fan community in the world. Until next time, friends, keep on rolling.